Welcome to Journey to the Centre of Food, a voyage of discovery for curious foodies everywhere. My name's Jay Taylor, I'll be driving the submarine today, whilst alongside me as ever is James Winter, keeping us on the straight and narrow of food facts. Hi all, hello! And on today's show, we who are about to dine salute you. Yes, it's time to oil up your torsos, slide on your leather sandals and warm up those togas as we are taking a trip to dine in ancient Rome, delving into the dinner habits of none other than Julius Caesar and his Roman brethren. And alongside this, we'll also be trying to invite some other guests to our dream dinner party. So without further ado, it's time to find out what the Romans really did do for us on a journey to the centre of food. Hello James, you are resplendent in full-length toga and laurel wreath. This is very impressive. Marvellous. Yes, you look look fine and dandy yourself in your... your Beautiful swash of purple, the uh, the colour of the emperor himself. Yeah, well, I thought so, and a bit, a bit of gold on the side, yes. I was going to go the full sort of uh, semi-naked uh, gladiator, but I thought we'd keep it regal at this stage, mm, you know. Give wonderful. it, give it, give it, give it, method podding is, is the way we do it, we do Absolutely. it now. Absolutely. <laughs> and of co- well, before we go much farther, I think we should uh, introduce our guest in right at the start mm. because he is obviously going to have some things to say to what we're going to get onto next. Well, he knows more uh, than we do, so let's bring him in early. <laughs> we do have a low bar, but I think we should get him in straight away. Our guest host this week is, again, backed by popular demand, Mark Meltonville, is uh, arguably, by us, the finest food historian in the whole world. Uh, he's an expert. In and the I'll fight anyone who says differently. <laughs> And he has a gladius. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's an expert in the traditions and origins of our food today, as well as a food explorer and a cook and advisor to some of the best restaurants on the planet. And you can find him poking around everywhere from royal palaces to Victorian gin stills. And he's the perfect person to take us on an adventure to dine in ancient Rome. So, Ave, Mark Meltonville, welcome back. Hello then. Um, how come I didn't get a toga? I'm dressed as a cook again. It's every time. <laughs> but a Roman it's, cook? It's no, a Roman no, just in this tunic. I don't get the good stuff. <laughs> no, you're you're going to you're cooking for us, surely? It's the. Oh <laughs> right. Okay. Yes, we are going to be going. You're going to be taking us taking us to Rome. But before mm. that, our, our, the ongoing saga of our dinner party, our dream dinner party, uh, must continue as 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 in the finest traditions of beating the well and truly unconscious horse we're going to keep going with this our our plan james as i keep trying to <laughs> figure out i'm just is- waiting for the week where we get to like footballers from the early 90s <laughs> a much easier pick we are putting together our dream dinner party for people that we want to eat with from history so so far at the table we have montezuma, montezuma. Uh, with his spiced chocolate and headdress Mm-hmm. We have Napoleon, who's going to bring Chef Karem with him. Uh, and then leave. And then leave. Meter on might show up or might not. We're, we're waiting on whether the, the law allows us to serve his favourite uh, tiny bird. <laughs> tiny drowned birds. Uh, and then Queen Victoria, resplendent with the modern Christmas dinner, will turn up. And she's going to be eating quickly as well with Napoleon and out of there. So we have plenty of seats left. And plenty uh, of food. Which is lucky because I have some I have some more suggestions for us, and I thought I'd go down the slightly general route this week. Right, we're going okay. we're going for great generals, okay? <laughs> we've had dictators. <laughs> no, we've had we've had. There are a few more di- dictators. Seem to be quite good at this. Mm. So some of our generals will probably slide more dictatory. Um, a quick one, probably not this guy, but just if we invite him, we need to bear this in mind. Alexander the Great banned his soldiers from uh, chewing mint leaves 
fearing they would become sexually excited and unable to fight effectively. So if we Happens invite... Happens to all of us. Well, <laughs> are mint leaves? Are what are they? I've never chewed on a mint leaf like that. I've never. That explains <laughs> a lot, Jay. <laughs> I've got some in my garden. I might go and give a go at it in a minute. Well, see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I just, but that's a very specific thing to be worried about with your soldiers, isn't it? I'd, I'm quite, especially when it feels like a quite fresh and imagine soldiers' breath. Maybe he didn't want them to have nice breath. Maybe he wanted them to be stinky and gnarly and ugly and cruel. You know, it's a bit oh. of that. Well, that's interesting because Frederick the Great, there seemed to be, you know, there's a naming thing here if you're a general. Uh, He was the Prussian king, a military leader. He thought coffee made women barren and made men effeminate. So beer, on the other hand, was the beverage of victory. So he he was raised on beer soup, which was beer, sugar, salt, cream, flour, egg yolks and cinnamon. Um, And in a 1777 (laughs) proclamation... He called on his subjects to drop their disgusting coffee habits and turn to beer soup. He said, "Many ba- I'm not sure how he spoke. Many battles <laughs> have been fought and won by soldiers nourished on beer, the proclamation read. And the king does not believe that coffee-drinking soldiers can be depended upon to endure the hardship or beat his enemies in the case of occurrence of war. Um, but even that, they didn't do the trick. Uh, so four years, yet, four years later, he imposed a, uh, a royal monopoly on coffee beans. So he could make money on it. <laughs> so was he was he particularly victorious with his beer swilling army? No. You'd imagine so. Was he Mark? Did he? <laughs> oh, I, I I don't really do battles. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> more interested in what, what they yeah, ate more, before I, and I'm after. More likely, more likely to find out what he what he had for supper when he got back. So sorry about that. <laughs> but but the thing I like about him is actually what he's going to bring to the party is both beer and coffee. Mm, coffee. Because yeah, so I think you yeah. know. Frederick the Great, and I, and I think probably we're all unified in not knowing the first thing about Frederick the Great and if he was good or bad. He sounds quite a good addition. He's my current. He's my current yeah, vote yeah, yeah, yeah. over over yeah. over Alexander and his and his mint leaves thing. James, I believe you had an entry. Well, yes. Well, I, I would like to propose, or maybe put on the invite list, um, Thomas Jefferson, the third oh. U.S. president. Now oh. he. Um, Obviously, did many great things for America, but um, he was also very interested in gastronomy and cooking. And he's credited, maybe incorrectly or whatever, apocryphally, of bringing ice cream to the United States. But what he was also very keen on doing is making ice cream at home. And he would use sort of ice and everything to sort of, you know, he had a lot of his early um, ice cream making machines shipped over to America, reconstructed, and he would use them to impress and and sort of surprise and, and marvel his guests at, at his various dinner parties. And he used to use dinner parties as a form of, of sort of diplomatic sort of um, one of his tools. And there's a very famous dinner party he held in 1790 where he, James Madison and Alexander Hamilton re um, basically repositioned the capital of America. At the time, it was in um, Columbia, um, it's District of Columbia. I don't know. It, it, it was um, the original. It wasn't Washington. It was um, someone write in and tell me from America somewhere. But he, he, they decided during this process to to move the capital of America over over a four course dinner followed by ice cream and fine wines. And so clearly, <laughs> he must have been doing something right in the kitchen. And and he was very hands on, I believe, in in preparing the ice cream course. So. I thought maybe not only would he be a fascinating man to have sit around the table and talk about the early birth of America, and, and you know, but he would also be uh, a very interested foodie guest. He's got the best dumb waiter. 
in any house at Monticello there. Now, we've all seen dumb waiters. You put some meals in, they go up a floor, down a floor. You get electric ones in modern restaurants. That's fine. No, but Monticello, there's a little tiny one, really weeny, built into the side of the fireplace. Just a tiny little door, no more than a foot tall, maybe three or four inches wide, and it brings another bottle of port up from the cellar. Now, that is cool. So, so could we have this at Monticello, this dinner party? Yes, 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 yes. Nice big kitchen underneath. So we have have a venue as well. I'm sure he wouldn't mind. He isn't. (laughs) Oh, this is fabulous. Okay, yes, Thomas Shepard is most certainly in. You had me at ice cream, but as soon as I started hearing a little dumb waiter bringing up port... That is fabulous. Is uh, it possible, yeah. Mark, to still visit Monticello? Is it open to? Is it? A, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yes. so you, okay, it's a lovely, it's a lovely, it's a lovely visit. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, with our guest list, we're not going to have to ask twice. I mean, I mean, when no, we no, rock no, up no. with Montezuma and Queen Victoria, it's oh, like no. it's like Bill and Ted's. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to let us in, yeah. surely. I think that's the. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. Okay, I mean, Mark, can I add, do you can agree? I add another Frenchie then? Oh, go on then. Um, um, you're packing it uh, with the Frenchies here. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Charlemagne. Oh, okay. Ooh, All right, Charlemagne. No, no, another one. Pretty good, good, good general. You were after good generals, but he he is uh, said to have said that Rockfall is the king of cheeses, and that was his favourite. So I think someone that brings uh, anecdotes of good battles and a really good cheese board, he's in for me. Yeah, but has he got a good cheddar with him? That's the question. No, not not he. Well, he will never have had cheddar because the cheddaring process is yet to oh, be invented. Just think of the excitement of, of giving Charlemagne some English cheeses. Always, <laughs> yeah. Um, he did have a habit of cutting people's heads no. off. He didn't like them. So, so he had to um, choose wisely. Yeah, be very careful what you offer him in the way of cheeses. <laughs> but but I think yeah, we've got we, we have a potentially quite combustible dinner party here. Yes. But the food's coming on nicely because um, we got yeah, you know I'm just making a note. We have got Frederick the Great who's bringing the coffee and beer. We have got Charlemagne mm. with the cheese board, and yeah. Thomas Jefferson's bringing the ice cream and port and, and port. port. Yes, mm, and, then, and then old Queen Vic turns up with you know all manner of turkeys Turkey and, and bits and bobs like that. Montezuma with the chocolate. And curry, yeah. She was one for a curry, so I should think on the table uh, with Victoria there'll be a, uh, at least one really decent curry as well. So we're doing very well now. The only thing in Napoleon, he's only bringing a chef with him. He's not really bringing a great deal uh, well, to the table. Well, that's because he, you know, he couldn't really care less, could he? <laughs> <laughs> He'll be there for the uh, for the. You can, you can imagine him. You can imagine him just shrugging when he looks at it all. <laughs> yes, this is, this is ridiculous. I'm going. <laughs> Wonder, well, okay, great. So the dinner party is coming along well. Uh, but there is a guest from from ancient Rome who could be included on this. So, Mark, uh, you are go- you are here today to take us way back. To- but but before people probably wrote down what the hell they were eating, I uh, imagine you never know. Let's go. Let's go and eat it. Take us dining in ancient Rome. Ancient so. Rome. Right. This is a wonderful one. Now I'm going to start this uh, little conversation by saying i'm not a roman historian and there are many of those and thank you good night they they know what they're talking about and i have an overview and when someone says to me and i I get this quite a lot with romans because they're quite popular and they're quite famous everyone everyone knows about them and someone will sit down like you and go tell us about roman food i mean at least you've given me a a date with uh, julius caesar and saying tell me about roman food is like someone coming in from space and going right what's europe food like you beg pardon no food in europe what's it like (laughs) yeah it's it's a huge place and the roman world was 
spanning the known world. So and four hundred and fifty odd years worth of it as well. Um, more, lot, a lot more than four four hundred and ten uh, just in England um, oh. AD. And then you've got yeah. so you've got you've got hundreds and hundreds of years and hundreds and hundreds of miles <laughs> for for someone to just go, sir, tell me what they ate. Well, absolutely everything. So what we have to do for this is hone in. Luckily, you said Julius Caesar. He's around the new calendar, um, just around the ADBC section. So that's that's uh, that that helps me. He spends most of his time in Rome. So we'll we'll ignore his trips into Britain and up. Uh, and around so because of course obviously the food everywhere is slightly different and and the way we can look at this is from a cookbook that survives you said that they, they wrote a lot down they wrote all sorts in fact one of the best ways of looking at roman food is to look at their poetry and their plays and all of their writings and so on and their memoirs and so on so there's all sorts of little ways of pulling things uh, out of other people's writings and there is you know monumental amounts of writing then you've got the archaeology places like pompeii i don't know if anyone saw only six months ago they found another um fast food store with all the advertising still painted around the outside so there's so there's lots of evidence of what they were doing and from that we can we can pull a story together and we do have this one rather odd cookbook and that's very difficult. And it, it's quite famous. You can all look it up. It's called Apicius. Oh, and, yes. Yeah. Everyone goes, oh, yeah, I've, I, I know, I've heard I know of about that. Apicius. I've heard of that. What is it? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a nice question. <laughs> and, and who's Apicius? And, and that has been debated for a very long time as to who Apicius might be. And the current thinking, not me, this is clever people. Um, the current thinking is that there is no Apicius that Apicius becomes a term. There is a person around the same time in the first century AD, his name's Marcus Gavius Apicius. He's a famous gourmet, he's written about. He's got two things he's famous for. One is he goes around the Mediterranean trying to find out who has the largest prawns anywhere. So he's a man after my own heart. What I a, like that. What, what, a that, mission. That, what, what a mission. What a mission. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant mission. Thousands of years later. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I was a prawn hunter, mate, he says. And, uh, but he doesn't say that because the other thing he's famous for is being poisoned at a banquet. So bang, gone. Oh. So, and he's quite young when that happens. So the... The theory at the moment is that someone like him, he's, he's known as a gourmand, that they, they refer to him as someone who loves his food and eventually dies at a banquet with a dodgy, dodgy prawn. And, uh, <laughs> but does his, ter his name become associated with food? Anapicius is the possibility. This book is written in what they call vulgar Latin. So it's not been written by an educated man like him. It's not been written by friends of Julius Caesar. It's been written by lowlier people, possibly cooks. Now, you have to remember in the Roman world, we're looking at a slave-based economy. So virtually all cooks are slaves. They're enslaved peoples that work for households. There is no link between the cook and the dining room. So they're not going to mix. And so it, it's very unlikely that anyone upstairs is going to write anything down like that, apart from the anecdotes. So the, at the moment, the Curian thinking is this, this book called Apicius is named after this man called, it's, you know, it, it's, what, what, what can we do today? It, it, it's almost like the fact that the term Michelin, which should refer to a tire, yes. now means a good restaurant. But no restaurant is a Michelin restaurant, but they are associated with that. So it's, it's, it's come together through that. So if there was Anapicius, this book might have been collected together to give you an idea that it's filled with good things to eat. And the other problem we have with 
this wonderful manuscript that everyone goes, oh, I've got a Roman cookbook, is the only copy that survives is from the ninth century. So 500 years after the last Romans have gone, because it's, it's a written copy, there will have been previous generations, but we do not have one from the Roman time. So you're looking backwards already. But there's, there's a lot in there and it, it gives us an idea of what was going on. And I'm just going to pause here for one second to tell you about a really cool new company who are working with us at the moment. They are called Stitch Fix. And in my life, and I hopefully think quite a lot of your lives too, this fixes a really tricky problem because shopping for clothes can be a hassle. I mean, these togas we're wearing, you know, they're not easy to find. Website images can be misleading and you never know how things are going to fit and there's just loads of choice. Well, Stitch Fix are here to do the hard work for us. It's an online personal styling company that makes getting clothes you love effortless. It's a completely different way to shop and it's all about you or us every time. To get started, all you have to do is go to stitchfix.co.uk slash journey to set up your profile and they'll deliver great looks personalized just for you in your colors style and budget so you pay a 10 pound styling fee for each fix which is then credited towards anything you keep and you'll get 20 percent off when you keep everything in your fix you can schedule it at any time there's no subscription required plus shipping returns and exchanges are easy and free I mean, this sounds like an amazing company. It's exactly the kind of thing I've been looking for. Basically, Stitch Fix does the hard work for us and it makes great style effortless for men and women. So get started today at stitchfix.co.uk slash journey. That's stitchfix.co.uk forward slash journey and let them do the work for you. Right, let's get back into these togas and get back to Rome. The Roman world is very, very modern. People sat in England are lighting their homes with olive oil lamps because they can get olive oil from the Mediterranean. They've got underfloor heating. They, if you've got the money, you're living, you're trying to recreate Rome in your little cottage in England because you can warm it up, you can eat the fruits and dates and this, but you can't quite do what a Mediterranean diet does. So if you're looking at the people in Rome, they're living a very Mediterranean lifestyle. And while I was researching this, one of the saddest things I found out is I think we've all had it. That if you've been to Italy or Greece or Turkey, you've eaten a lot of the Roman food because it is cheeses like feta, salads, um, shellfish and fish baked and skewered, done on a barbecue. So we've all really sampled a lot of what they would have expected as food. And, and that can be quite disappointing when you think, oh, is that it? Well, it's brilliant. That's why they eat it. Yeah, that's really good. They, yeah. That's yeah, why yeah. they've carried, carried on doing it. So it's it, it, so then you have to start looking at well okay what what can we find that makes things a bit different how how if we're talking about Mr Caesar or any of his friends how how is their their eating day does that differ from ours or does that change and and there are slight slight differences um, Roman breakfast virtually non-existent oh no they get up fast now again we've got to remember this is in the med down in the it's hot most of the time you get up really early you get dressed. You don't even bother to wash because that's coming later. That's the baths. What you do is you get up and you go to work. So you grab something that's been left out on the table from the kitchens, cold meats, bit of salad, something left over, a piece of bread, a quick, a quick drink, go to work. You get your work done in the morning because that shows you're wealthy if you don't have to work all day. You're not a labourer. You can stop at lunchtime. At lunchtime, you take a very light lunch again. Um, we get a little bit of Roman... Uh, food law and body image here 
they have an opinion that if you overcook food, it's bad for you. I mean, we know that if you cook things to death, it's horrible. But they, yeah. Now, they're, they're living in, or start off in a very hot country. And so if you use the mindset of their science, if you leave something out, piece of meat, in the sun, what happens to it? It goes rotten. It putrefies. Therefore, heating up food makes it go off. So the quicker you cook something, the better it must be for you, the less putrid it must be. And so their, especially their lunch habits is all very much, I've just said about Greek and Italian food, it's little things cooked really quickly, little skewers, little bits of fish, prawns, bits of um, uh, uh, cuttlefish and um, uh, little bits of octopus, anything that we think of as, as really good. Almost yeah, sounds food. really great, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. They also, um, if you can, they prefer to eat their lunch standing up because that's better for your digestion. So you have a quick really? lunch. So like yeah, Italian, yeah, little Italian espresso cafes you go into. Yeah, it's, it's, you go to, and again, if you're a working man, you're if you look at the construction of um, classical Rome, it's 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 blocks of flats, it's stone bases with these wooden four or five story tenements on top of them, and so the average working person will drop away from Caesar at the moment. They're eating out. They're they're eating off these street foods that we're talking about, and so they they're doing all sorts of uh, of quick quick breads, flat breads with meat inside. They're eating kebabs. They do not. We we would be very happy with it. In fact, we've got one for everyone. Well, would they even be cooking at home? These these no no No, not at all. In in a a wooden tenement, you have no cooking. Yeah. So so you go downstairs and you eat on what we would think of as the sort of the best of street food, somewhere between an Asian street food market and a Mediterranean market, all melded together and and uh, work. Of course, that's down to money. If you haven't got much money, you can't buy much. If you've got a reasonable job, you can you can eat quite well. One of my favourites, I would suggest everyone tries, is a, a street food from first century Rome. And it's it doesn't have a name, but uh, it, it's little chunks of pork on a skewer. So you're just going to barbecue them and you marinate them in some little bit of uh, lemon juice, some oil, some wine any herbs you like, because they're using the same herbs as us. They're using mint and they're using um, uh, marjoram and uh, rosemary and all of those. But what you put into that marinade is a couple of good spoons of asafoetida. They're very fond of that. What is that? I've heard of Asafoetida. Now, you can now get it in the majority of supermarkets will have a little jar of it. It's a yellow powder. It's a resin. So it's a tree resin. Very aromatic. And added to a meat dish like that gives the taste of roasted garlic. Wow. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. Mm. So if you do no other Roman cookery, next time you do a barbecue, marinated uh, pork chunks in whatever you like, wine, honey, things like that, and a couple of spoons of asafoetida, and you've got yourself a taste of the Roman streets. Oh, very. That, what that tree is that? Do you know what tree it is? Probably the asafoetida tree. I don't is know. it? I don't <laughs> wonder if that's what it is. Yeah, that would make the only sense. Thing I know, the only thing I know about is it stinks when it's being mm. processed. It's where it's we get the root word fetid from. Yeah, you know, it's, quite a, it's quite a it's quite unusual stinky, smell, stinky, it? stinky yeah. stuff. Yeah, have you tried it, James? Have you ever had this? Oh, well, mm. the asafoetida, you use it a lot in in, in today. You would do the, lots yeah. of recipes. Mediterranean cooking. Yeah, Mediterranean, but also Rain kind cooking. of occasionally North African. Yeah, yeah, in African and and other parts of Asia, it's 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 a kind of earthy, deep funky flavour it's got a little oniony tang to it mm. but it's you know it's it's to be take it's to be used oh, yeah. wisely you know put it in a marinade don't sprinkle it on your food yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah so that that's so we, we we wandered we wandered there down onto the streets with the working people we've shot back up with our wealthier types here where we and, belong um, mark where we belong yeah 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 and uh, you if you've got the money of course you go to the bars that's when you do your 
changing your clothes for the day, not at the start. You change clothes when you've had your bath and your shave, bit of an oil down, whatever you're doing. There are some accounts of snacks served at the bath. So they, again, they seem to be, it, it's, it's straight back to this Italian, Greek, Mediterranean look. Uh, they talk about there being lots of little snacks with dipping sauces, so, uh, meatballs being favourite. You can have, you know, have a little dish of meatballs, dip them into a nice sweet and sour sauce, move on. It's not it's not very hygienic. I mean, it's just like the David Lloyd well, no, sort of fancy that's place. That's outside. Yeah. I mean, you've oh, got right. a bath in one room. <laughs> no, the, the meatballs aren't floating past. It's got to be a bag of frazzles in there as well. If you go into the swimming no. bath, you've got to have a packet of frazzles no, and a can of Fanta. Bath, you're clean, tidy, shaved, and you think, oh, before I move on, Let's have a little bar snack and, and um, something like that. Meatballs, and meatballs are fantastically impractical with a white toga as well. Oh, I can good. only imagine the mess you make. You just change your tunic. You're like, oh, yeah. like but what, again. What, what you're all doing is you're, because you're, you've got money, you haven't had to work all afternoon, you, you're hobnobbing with the, the generals and the Caesars and all the big families across the road. What you're aiming to do is to get an invite, because you're after not paying for it yourself, you want an invite to dinner with some notable family, uh, the meal called the Senna. That's their meal of the day. One large meal, hot country, it makes sense. Lots of little snacks. And then once it gets cool in the evening, you get this one meal. Uh, and, and the Senna, we have uh, a lot more information on and a lot more recipes that we, we know that go right there. And the, we've got to mention now the famous one, which is called Liquiman or Garum, mm. because uh, anyone who yes. does any work into Roman food goes, Ugh! Uh, yes, uh, fish, uh, fetid fish. Rotten, fish, rotten fish sauce, rotten fish sauce. Well, um, it's all right. Let me, uh, let me uh, assure you. Don't worry about it. No, it's it good, tastes, isn't it? Yeah, it tastes okay because it has. It's mostly spices. It's salt. It's cured, and anyone who's made one of the garums, and there were many different styles, but their base form. Uh, they range between the fish sauces that we buy for far Asian cookery, which everyone's quite happy to put into something. And that's what you're doing. You're not drinking this stuff. Mm. It is a condiment. It goes into food. And the darker ones, um, we're going to have to advertise here, but they taste like a Worcester sauce. That's well, exactly it's, it's what they are. Same principle, it's an, it? that's yeah. An, yeah, anchovies, spice thing. So they are good sauces. There's nothing nothing wrong with these garums. They, they're, they're just, they and all of the different wine sauces, they, they have names for how much you boil down wine, one half, one quarter, three quarters, all of those are just considered ingredients. So it tells you to go and get some half boiled down wine, go and get some fish sauce. Go and get, so they're all just condiments that go into these dishes, adding a very complex sort of spice and herb range and very much the sweet sour because they do like their honey and things. And so, vinegar. Didn't they season a lot with sort of vinegars yeah. and things too? So that, that's the kind of when you're trying to imagine what these dishes are like. It is. Mm. You're right. It's sweet and sour, sour. And, and but yeah. also got kind of rich in that kind of umami Tangent, well, this is what yeah. Gar- Garum and Nickelman, we now know, are the umami side mm. of it. So it's they're going Asian, in with a- this vibe, isn't it? This seems like a lot of Asian, I mean, I mean, Asian, Asian Mediterranean, it's all of it. Fish it, 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 it yeah, it, it's got all of those elements to it. And then the meal itself, um, I've now realised, looking into this, is really the birth of noble dining, how it's going to become in the high med- uh, medieval times. The meals that I describe there are based in these Roman centres. And what's going to happen is uh, as Europe collapses and has its dark age, that middle Roman bit doesn't. You've got Constantinople, you've got the Holy Roman Empire stays as a bubble. And as they expand back out, once the dark times are over, this style of dining 
is what will become medieval dining. So the, the way you eat the senna is you sit down or lie down uh, on your little little bench, and what's brought out is a three course meal. That's a bit normal, isn't it? Yeah. Now the courses contain many dishes, so it is much more like an Asian meal, and it's much like a, more like a medieval meal. But the the first one that turns up, and I, my Latin is not very good, but it's called the gustatio. So basically, um, uh, tastes. And that's lots of little things that we now call hors d'oeuvres. And gotcha. there, seems, yeah. Yeah, there seems to be always some egg dishes, different spiced eggs, things like that, uh, little little pieces of fish, skewers, the skewers I talked about with the, the, the pork on there. Uh, really seem to be quite fond of meatballs. Uh, pork or lamb, uh, little bits of duck, every, everything we really like. I'm in like on all it. those, yeah, I'm in on all yeah, of those. Yeah, there's, I'm there's, sticking there's, with those. Enough, so where does the great. impression of, a, is it just purely a, a Monty Python-esque image that, uh, you know, it's, it's exotics, it's wolf nipple chips and otters uh, and, and, and well, it will badges, be. no, badges at, ears or whatever. At, <laughs> at, at, at incredibly special banquets, they will pull, push the boat out to try and do something absolutely amazing. And they do have a habit of this. We're back to that fast cookery. Mm. So uh, there's a lot of offal, which mm. has only really left our diets in the last 50 years or so. So little bits of kidney, little bits of her. They do seem to like udder, uh, which is now coming back a bit in the nose, to, in some of the nose to tail eating. Um, so some of it we would find a little bit odd because they're using everything. Mm. And again, if, you, if you're going to something like season, yeah, they're going to think, right, what can we do? How can we really dress something up? You know, let, let's do dormice again because they can't get them normally. So th there is the high end that everyone forgets about. But the day-to-day, the -day, even the really good wealthy food, is just we, we'd find most of it really quite nice and, mm. and the flavour is quite exciting and challenging. So once you've downed all that lot with a glass of wine, chosen by the host and very importantly watered by the host <laughs> one of the jobs of the host they don't drink wine straight they mm. always water it slightly and that's a way of gauging the host so you and you and james are sat there and i'm the host and you're watching intently how much water do i put in the jug am i being a bit stingy oh, <laughs> and make brilliant. it three, three to one or am i thinking <laughs> Carl, go on guys 50 50 or even less so it's, it's some of that should be down to how hot the day is you might you want it refreshing you're, you're thinning the wine down we can always have lots of it but you do keep a little eye on the host and go mm, yeah he's one of those he's one of those 75 percent water guys isn't he <laughs> <laughs> But you are waiting for Jay's house on the way home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've already watered it before I water it. Yeah. <laughs> what you're after, though, you've you've had all those little little nibbles. Is we all sort of sit back, and now this is where it gets more fun because rather than the table being cleared, the table goes. So your your unpaid staff, shall we call them, come in. <laughs> Very delicate. Yes. <laughs> come come in. Lift up the table with all the little nibbles on that's gone and they bring in the next table uh unimaginably named the mensa primary the first table because it's going to be the, the that's really course. good way of doing wow. it mind isn't it no so fucking around just get the old uh, thing so your, your buffet is all laid on there and that middle one that that uh, the primary table there is where you're going to see all the large dishes that uh, james is on about it's where you put a roasted hare there might be a couple of ducks there'll be stews there's all the, all the heavier dishes lots of different sauces to mix with with going on uh, one very odd one which i i'm having trouble um, uh, deciphering that apparently gets confused with lasagna it's called patina and 
too many books have said, oh, this is this is original Masania. No, it isn't. It's 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 you have to look deeper into it. It is layered, and so and it's layered with a sauce that could contain minced meat or minced fish or both. And so everyone goes, oh, this must be the earliest one, but it, it's not quite. Um, they're flatbreads when you read the instructions. So you make a load of flatbreads, a big pile of them. You put them in a dish, but you put them in one, then a sauce, then two, and then a sauce, then two, then a sauce. So there's lots more bread. It's turned out and put on the table. The idea is uh, we can pick them up. So you pick up a sandwich, you get two flatbreads, with a mince or fish or Ooh, spice yeah. sauce, and then you roll it up, and so it's 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 taco time, everyone. <laughs> you know, <it's>, yeah. <laughs> so what's that? I mean, but pastas and and breads and these and obviously we think of pizza and, and some sort of sort of sort of form of flatbreads and things. Flat, I mean, flatbreads and leavened breads. So yeah, so they're, they're, I mean, but pasta too is is the yeah, predominant or not really? What's, no, what's, no, 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 no. The, the, uh, you get dried pastries that are eaten very similar. So layer very thin layers of air dried pastry, which are a bit like pasta. And there's 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 other things, but that, that doesn't figure heavily. Bread is an old one. Uh, bread is being pulled apart. Excuse the pun. Uh, very much at the moment in study and there are flatbreads all over the place and there are leavened bread so yeast risen breads about and bread is very important in roman society because it has a sort of metaphysical side to it bread is the food of man oh. that's complicated right bread that now bread does not exist a good friend of mine always starts his lectures bread is an invention you can't grow bread. You can't find it in a field or a forest. Yeah. You make bread. So this is very important. Man makes bread for man to eat. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the Roman view of the world, you have the beasts and the beasts eat out of the forest. Then you have man. <coughs> man makes bread specifically for him to eat. It's not provided. Wow. And then you go up to the gods and the gods drink or eat ambrosia. They have god food. So bread is the food of man because we create it. Gosh, so it's, so a, we, it's a way of sort of saying, look, we're, we're developed enough. We are, we, yeah, are we, we are better than the beast, but we're not quite the gods. We create our food and that food is bread. And very quickly that becomes hierarchical because they're already sieving their breads. In They have mill buildings where people are, are, are sieving the bread. And the whiter flour goes to the wealthy because that's better for you and more processed and more made. And then the the, the lesser flowers are, are down to the people who've been grinding it. So instantly you get this brown bread for the poor, white bread for the rich, good bread, bad bread. It, it's, it's that carries there. on almost to Victorian times, yeah. isn't it? Isn't oh, it later, later. I, I should think if you went across Britain in the 1950s, you'll find working people who won't touch brown bread because it's not. Brown bread is a sign of poverty. You eat white bread as often as you can it's very very modern this idea of wholemeal breads being nice and good for you it's it's always been about how white it can be so that's that's segued slightly into into the uh, met metaphysical view of bread but anyway <laughs> no, <I like> it. <laughs> bread is man bread is man but yes bread is bread is man because it has to be made it's an interesting view <laughs> interesting. um it's also where you get the roman dislike of beer dislike of beer they do make beer and they drink a lot more beer than people think. And they talk about the beer drinking nations in the north of Europe. They don't like, you know, that's barbaric. And that's exactly the same reason. Beer is made by man and wine almost makes itself. It's a drink of the gods. You can see that though, can't you? Even yeah. now, you, one of them has a regal, yeah. a regal aspect yeah. to it. Oh, and the grapes, if you juice grapes in a warm country, they become wine. 
it, it happens. It's all, it's all, it's all there. Another friend of mine says, you know, he, he's a beer maker. He says, beer is difficult. Anyone who can take their socks off can make wine. You know, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I've just insulted a third of the yeah, world. Thank <laughs> you to all of our wine sponsors who have now gone. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's again, you know, it's. I mean, we we talked about this when we talked about the Victorian Christmas. There's a lot of this culture and a lot of these foods, which, as you say, are just are, are still present today because they were good then and they're good today. And and why on earth would a culture evolve away from something that's so easy and accessible and delicious? And and you know, no, no, you know, min- minced minced uh, shellfish and prawn wrapped up in a flatbread it was good 2000 years ago it's good now it does yeah. sound and really good this rome i was i wasn't expecting yeah. roman food to just be something no. i really really fancy well i've got a third course do you want to go into the third course yes of course yeah, yeah. unfortunately the third course is known as the the mensa seconde table number two and guess what that is exactly the same table we all think yeah i got not at the duck that's gone yeah but i'm <laughs> also thinking they, where are you keeping all these bloody well tables? I, I wonder whether they take table the first table clear it down put i think it, it's it and the bring first it back in. so you yeah. need two tables for this i think that's you only the need way. the two yeah yeah and everyone spotted it going hang on i know that stain I know that. <laughs> yeah. he, hasn't, he hasn't got three tables he's only got two <laughs> and he's watering the wine yeah it's all, all the size so is this where now just to just to where on an Italian menu now you get all these different courses, you know, because yeah. that's often right. what throws people. You have four courses, courses. don't you? Of, yeah. of, of, of all of which seem pretty much kind of similar, don't they? I mean, yeah. it's, the it's, where it, it's, it's, it's where, where right. it all starts. Well, but, okay. uh, so, what's on the um, second course then? Well, the second, which is in fact the third course, because yeah. you've had the, the, the nibbles, that is uh, predominantly sweet. And so, we're, we, we're going to recognize this well. Um, People have often said, well, you know, with all this food slushing around, how, how do I eat it? And it, it resembles what they're going to do in the Middle Ages. You get a small plate each, mm. uh, a little knife or a small spoon, and you'll be taking small amounts from each thing. Um, all of the, the wonderful beasts that uh, James is going on about, so, you know, the big hare stood in the middle, and, and uh, they're all carved by the staff and, right. and offered round in little bits. So you're, you're doing a lot of... And we would yourself. be sitting for this now. This is a um, or lying well, no, you're, on our you're, side, you can, we? You can lie on your side. I'm you're lounging. Yeah, yeah I'm lounging. if you're a girl, you have to sit. They're not allowed to lounge. Right. Um, Typical. Or they're not there. <laughs> the can you one. imagine lounging? All the girls having to sit there. So. Well, you've got to be careful which, and I can never remember which side you have to lie on because one side so. allows you to digest, the other side really gives you terrible cramp. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. left side. I've always thought yeah. Romans lay to the left. We're going to have to do that now. We'll, we'll rush off afterwards. That's an experiment. Uh, try the two it. sides and think, no, no, terrible <laughs> indigestion. Other side. Um, <laughs> so, what's the pudding then? So, what's this third course or second course? Um, we're looking at it. A little, little bit simpler um not so much cooking because it's a hot country again fruits nuts dates all that sort of thing uh there are a few uh puddingy dishes which are um sort of semolinary type uh, cooked puddings but most of it seems to be mixing fruit sweet and sour um again we've got another one if everyone rushed off and tried the um the little pork kebabs you can finish off with one of their favorite sweets and all you have to do is take some honey and put spices in it so spice some honey up with a bit of cinnamon or ginger whatever you like Lovely. you can warm it a little bit you don't have to you can just mix them together dates which have already been pitted stuff the middle with pine nuts and then pour the honey over and have that as a little bowl of sweet treats that's an absolute favorite at the end of the meal little bit nuts sweet stuff and so on so great so loads of that sort of thing um, i thought you were going to say tiramisu mark <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> 
Have you uh, now? Dare I mention Pripus at this stage? Have you? This is so. <laughs> now, Mark, you can you can happily blow giant holes in this with your your Roman catapult. <laughs> we, uh, Heston and I did a show way back when we were doing Roman food. And um, obviously, as we do, we scanned the whole of the thousand year history to try and find something a bit odd <laughs> and then took huge leaps of liberal sort of uh, artistic interpretation. But the, the god of fertility was Priapus, which was basically this chap with a giant willy, like gigantic, like almost as tall as him. And uh, <laughs> side note, we actually ended up building one of these statues. It was gold and about three foot high. And it was we had this art department where we built this stuff all the time. And we had these huge sets we were always building. And then after you use them, they're always broken down and recycled or you know turned into the next thing. But the one thing that always stayed was this little gold statue. And I went back a year later, there's this massive phallic <laughs> statue standing out front. Yeah, we're willy. still doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh they loved them well, yeah, they were lucky. yeah very they were yeah, very lucky, lucky. Willies, but apparently yeah. apparently this there was a thing the the, the 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 origins of the wedding cake come from this idea of uh pripus giant member uh they're they're a bit phallic i uh, do you, it's fertility but then we but then we heard about the we heard about the ejaculating cake and heston very cleverly created this thing using like um dry ice which made it spit out but apparently Apparently, ancient Rome ejaculating the giant member cake. They wouldn't put it price on the other. Any chance to do something like that, they'd have been straight on that one. <laughs> it's not something that I, I've studied closely. It's not really your area. It's more no, our area. That yeah, one. I, oh, thought, I thought you were going to say he was lucky because you said, oh, I nearly had my eye out. Yeah, no. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I, I think I'll stay in the kitchen and, and continue creating some of the, the lesser dishes. A couple more I've got from the fruit, from the, um, the, that I want to try now because, of course, I haven't got around to doing a lot of these on the sort of sweet one. Um, melons in a mint dressing that's going to be nice, just a, a, yeah, a yeah. melon salad to, to cleanse the palate. Lovely. And something something that they say came over from Greece, which they normally don't like that much, but it's called or it translates as cheese and fruit dip to go with some of the, the, the other bits on the table. And it's cheese um, and fruit, fruit. Dip. so I presume so cheese it's, and fruit are separate. So, is that we talk yeah, about no, 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 it's all made all beaten together in a mortar as a dip because they like their dips to put put things into and it's a soft cheese so a green cheese as they call it so a new made cream cheese basically uh theirs tends to be quite salted because of the, the heat and you beat that in with a little bit of oil um wine fruit juice a little bit of lemon juice um and then raisins and pine nuts again so you've got this sort of sweet, cheesy dip thing. All of these flavours that I keep reading about, I keep thinking, yeah, no, that that's fine. There's, I think if I've had a problem with looking into this one, it's it's I've been looking for the wacky, and I keep coming out with the good, you know, the delicious as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, the Romans. We just finished the show with Al Murray where we were, we got uh, we we dipped into Roman sort of battlefields and warfare but the big thing that kept coming back was the romans were masters at basically finding another technology or something another country had nicking it and doing it themselves and sort of owning it almost and it feels like i'm sure across their empire food wise and technique wise that's what they did they just went there and went, that's great we'll have that and that's yeah, great bring we'll have it back that. And, uh, and 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 just yes yeah, keep keep uh, keep playing with it we don't find something like i've noticed don't find much beef very little beef they're not great now. Again, hot countries you don't get large herds of cattle. They're not a yeah. common. So there's very little beef in the, in the more rabbit, hare, duck, lamb. Not much goat. I don't uh, whether goat is seen as a lower class meat. Perhaps 
And what about sort of sort of pig and boar? And oh yeah, that? lots, lots, and lots of of uh, 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 pig. And of course, the one legacy that we have from the time of Rome is they won't eat horses. Horses, because oh, right. horses are just another ruminant. I mean, you know, if you look at a if you look at a field, a horse is just another grass-eating thing that maybe... Well, it's a good point. At some point, someone must have went... Yeah, no. and their opinion of horses is very high-born. They are noble animal. They carry man. They are mm. above other beasts, and we don't eat them. So we've, we've acquired across Europe that, that habit of not eating the horse. Not in every part of Europe, Mark. Yeah, well, you, you've got a yeah, revolution. As a Frenchman yourself, mm. Mark, or almost French. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that, that's, that's the uh, revolution. That, that's when that comes in. It's Don't bad. go blaming the revolution again. I do. Always I blaming do. the revolution for that horse yeah. eating. Yeah, no, <laughs> you've got two choices when you have a, a hungry nation. Uh, eat or you, die. And you have to, and you have to eat horses because you're so hungry. You either hide from it in shame forever, or you embrace <laughs> it as a new cultural identity. One of the two. <laughs> of all the, of all the historical eras we've talked about, I would say put us uh, put, uh, Henry VIII and Queen Victoria. They they can go away. Frankly, I'm, like I'm going to want to go back to pottering around these fast food stalls I do. oh god yeah I, I mean, I, fast food stalls of Pompeii just sound like the most to, exciting place we're back to place. giving away ideas oh. I think I think if we set up a Pompeii fast food store in a city somewhere oh. and did the best of it I um, as long as I'm not cooking <laughs> oh, you are now oh, I am you now. know your role your role oh, in the kitchen okay. get, get the stove I'll, on I'll, I'll give it a go <laughs> they were very modern I mean I've, I've never been to Pompeii and it is on my list of absolutely next year that's my goal I want to go visit it because all I've heard about is these the, the fast food restaurants and how many there were first mm. of all the diversity but also the range of foods they will be able to offer was like it wasn't just one thing like a pot and a guy on a fire there's like six or seven maybe eight different choices and there's menus and you're, you're literally it's like going I'm at, I've seen like Subway you know, you go in, there's an array of things with some breads maybe, and you put it, because bread they used to, in Popeye, I believe, they used to, the bread would almost be given away. It was like the, it was how to keep the people down, you know, f- give them give them something to, to stay alive with and they won't, you know, they, they won't complain so much. So, you know, you, you've got this cultural sort of bubble of all these different exciting flavours going on in the street, people eating, talking, everything. It just sounds, just sounds amazing. You know, you think it's, you do. You think it's going to be oldie worldy and weird and odd and full of otters' noses, but it's not. It's just <laughs> and, delicious and, and, and brilliant. Yeah, there is there is someone doing lark's tongue somewhere, but most of it is. Uh, is He's probably doing it in a really clever way with some, some garum reduction and just a yeah. little, you know, little teaspoon <laughs> no. of cashew nut butter or something. Uh, I don't and know. And we're going to do the same as you do. You'll walk around and you'll start to have your favourite stalls, which is what people did and where they where they like mm. where they like to eat the drinks and so on. So it, it's it's a world that we both could enter really easily on that level and we'd find it as exciting as entering an Asian street market, Mm. trying all the flavours, but in the same way as entering an Asian street market, our culture and their culture and our values are completely different and we just wouldn't understand each other either. Uh, For a Roman citizen, they'd find most of our values that we hold dear completely odd. Mm. They are not, in our modern opinion, very nice people in their attitude to the others around the world so although you and i might like the idea of going around pompeii we're more likely to be slapped in irons and sold oh yeah there is that <laughs> there is that it's gonna be a great dining experience and even if uh, yeah fair enough because <laughs> we are the very epitome of barbarians to them aren't we i mean they've they've tried to conquer us well they did conquer us for a 400 odd years but yeah you're not from around here you're still in you're still in your hut 
get out of here. You don't have underfloor heating. Uh, wow. Mark, as ever, what a joyous insight into a different era and something that I would love to try. This is, this is uh, yeah, fabulous. I'm a, new, I'm a, I'm a born-again Roman. I think it- <laughs> 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 but for this week, unfortunately... Mark, once again, slaving away in the kitchen for us of history. Thank you so much indeed. James, that was a delight. We're going to oh, wonderful. a bag of otters' noses then, shall we? <laughs> yes, please. That'll we just go for. We, we skip a few centuries forward and go for the aperitivo, the groaning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, thank you, gents. Uh, see you again next week. Bye. Bye.